This is Africa Digest. Good afternoon and welcome to Africa Digest. You are listening to Channel Africa, the African Perspective, broadcasting from Johannesburg. We are on Channel 802 on the DSTV Audio Bouquet on free-to-air satellite, has 10 and on the internet at www.channelafrica.co.za. You can also follow us on Facebook at Channel Africa, on Twitter at Channel Africa and on WhatsApp plus 27763003327. I'm Tracy Bumgard in studio with Onele Nsinsi and Neto Chamani. Our top stories on Africa Digest at this hour Several hundred supporters have converged at the Yaoundé residence of Maurice Kamto. Nigerian youths have begun the second phase of the NSARS protest. And the Democratic Republic of Congo's political crisis is worsening after President Felix Chisikedi decided to end the coalition. But first, the news with Onele. SABC News. Independent. And impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Tracy. Nigerian President Muhammadu Buhari says his administration is investing heavily in military equipment, including aircraft. There have been numerous recent attacks by militants in northeastern Nigeria, leading to criticism of the government's handling of security. The BBC's Maina Jones reports. What is perhaps most notable in President Buhari's latest statement on insecurity is how little he talked of the troubled northeast. He only mentioned the region, which has been rocked by terrorist attacks for over a decade, to say his administration had done well there. The statement comes less than two weeks after 43 farmers were killed by militants in Borno State. Instead, the president insisted insecurity was worse elsewhere, namely in the south, where he said oil installations were sabotaged daily. Speaking about October's anti-police brutality protests, he said violent demonstrations would not be tolerated. As of Wednesday, results in more than 250 constituencies have been announced, stating that Ghanaian President Nana Kufo-Addo has maintained his narrow lead against former President John Mahama. The Electoral Commission of Ghana early on Wednesday apologized to citizens over its inability to declare the results of the presidential election at the time it earlier promised, but assured that the coalition process has been transparent and fair. Addressing the media at midday, the deputy chairman person corporate service at the commission said they had received results from 14 regions and were working to finalize the remaining two. At the end of the coalition, the candidates who who secure over 50% votes will be declared the winner. Rwandan President Paul Kagame made the case for continued collaboration amongst African countries, which he said will be critical for the continent to emerge from the current COVID-19 period in safety and prosperity. The head of state was speaking virtually at the Kusi Ideas Festival 2020 edition, which is currently underway in Kenya. This year's conference is being held under the theme towards a post-COVID Africa recovering together. The two-day meeting brought together high-ranking officials, including Kenya's President Uhuru Kenyatta, as well as Kenya's former Prime Minister, Raila Odinga. South Africa's Health Minister, Dr. Zwilim Kize, says they are looking at calling off public events such as sports tournaments, entertainment festivals, closing beaches and parks across the country during the festive season. Kize says the closure of public events are the co- recommendation he received from mayors and premiers across the country. He says the National Common Council is currently deliberating on these proposals. Activities of that nature are what we normally call super spreader events and that's what we need to avoid. It's a very difficult time. Obviously, unfortunately, it's a time when we should be all relaxing and enjoying ourselves and entertaining ourselves. But we have to choose uh, entertaining ourselves at the risk of someone getting sick and maybe even losing lives is actually not a, a very responsible way of doing things. 
Lastly, Hong Kong pro-democracy activist Agnes Cho has been denied bail pending an appeal against a 10-month jail sentence on charges related to unauthorized assembly during anti-government protests. The 24-year-old activist was jailed last week along with Joshua Wong for their roles in an unlawful rally near police headquarters in 2019. Under the national security law, Beijing punishes what it broadly defines as sedition, secession, terrorism and collusion with foreign forces with up to life in jail. The BBC's Danny Vincent. A group of journalists and supporters gathered outside Hong Kong's High Court to await the result of the appeal. Police in uniform and in plain clothes looked on as her supporters silently left the building. There have been concerns over the young activist's well-being in detention. She was sentenced to 10 months in prison last week for her role in the 2019 protest movement. She pleaded guilty to inciting and taking part in unlawful assembly. Channel African News, I'm Onelin Sinsi. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Onele. Several hundred supporters have converged at the Yaoundé residence of Morris Kamto, asking the opposition leader to address them after his de facto house arrest. Heavily armed policemen stationed at his home since September 22nd surprisingly left on Tuesday with no explanation. Kamto has not made a public statement. Supporters are asking for an immediate release of Kamto's collaborators in detention centres throughout Cameroon. Moki Kinzeka reports from Yaoundé. Maurice Kamto's Yaoundé residence has been witnessing an influx of his supporters since heavily armed policemen left the opposition leader's home on Tuesday night. Among the supporters is 19-year-old agriculture technician Ernestin Nanga. Nanga says she is anxious to see Kamto. When I heard that the police left the house of our political leader Maurice Kamto, I came here to know if our political leader Maurice Kamto is in good heart, to know the plan he has for our country. Deadly, I want to hear from him. I want him to address us Cameroonians. Christopher Ndong is Secretary General of Kamto's Cameroon Renaissance Movement Party. He says the opposition leader is in good health and will be addressing his supporters at what he calls an appropriate moment. The residence of Professor Maurice Kamto surprisingly was uh, in fact liberated by security forces, gendarmes and police that had police the place since the 22nd of September 2020. Now that his residence has been abandoned by security forces who for some reasons we don't know independently of our thinking why they had left the place and uh, the place is empty. There are no more security forces at the residence of Professor Maurice Kamto. We are now waiting to see if the persons of the Cameroonian movement, militants, and officials of the party, like Professor Foge, Bibum Nisak, Mr. Zambwe Pascal, will be released, and many others that were arrested since the struggle of the resistance put up and proclaimed by the party. So we are still waiting, but that I want to confirm as Secretary General of the party that Professor Maurice Kamto's residence has been, in fact, liberated and that uh, the security forces are no more there. Ndong says the government should unconditionally release supporters of Kamto who were arrested on September 22 and detained in the coastal town of Douala, the capital Yaoundé, and the western town of Bafusam. We are looking forward for them to release the leaders of the executive organ and many others who make this government know that they should be meaningful and true democracy, that political parties should be free to hold meetings, manifestations, associate with other political parties, create coalition, and that the electoral system be revised and then an electoral code done which will be feasible for everybody. Dong said nine CRM officials including Bibu Nasak and Alain Fogwe 
were illegally detained at the Kondinge Maximum Security Prison. He said the government is accusing them of rebellion, attempted revolution, and illegal assembly during the September 22 protest organized by the opposition party to oust President Paul Bia. In a release after the police left Kamto's residence, Cameroon government spokesperson Rene Emmanuel Sadi said the arrested opposition leaders will face the law. Sadi said several hundred of the 300 opposition supporters arrested during the September 22 protest had regained their freedom and gave no further details. Ndong said more than 130 are still in detention. It was government plan to, in fact, put him under house arrest because they feared that from the date he was put under arrest to the date the election was to hold, there was going to be continuous strike. And that will, in fact, incite the population to create a lot of headache for the government in place. And because they knew the masquerade in the elections that they were going to do, which was a one-man show, everybody, the whole world knew that the election, in fact, was not democratic. It was a dictatorial kind of thing that they had to cram down on the opposition political party, the CRM, its leaders, Professor Maurice Camto, the president. They had to hold him and held everybody hostage in order that they should carry out the massacre that happened the 6th of December. That is the reason they didn't want him to talk. They didn't want him to cause any demonstration. They didn't want to call international opinion on it. The government has not explained why the police left. Territorial Administration Minister Paul Atanganji says the successful holding of the regional elections on December 6 indicates Cameroonians trust Bia and his government. Everyone knows that in democracy, political or republican legitimacy is acquired through the ballot box and not on social media or in the streets. Those who make wrong political calculations and look for fallacious pretexts to evade elections must also muster the courage to face the consequences of their suicidal decisions. Refusing to participate in elections and claiming to defend the interests of Cameroonians without any elective mandate is a scheme that cannot work in Cameroon. We will not allow that to happen. Kamtu was held in de facto house arrest on September 22 after he organized protests against Bia's long stay in power and Cameroon holding December 6 regional elections. The opposition says the electoral laws favor Bia and his Cameroon People's Democratic Movement Party. In January 2019, Kamto and 200 of his supporters were detained for insisting that Bia stole the 2018 presidential election Kamto claims he won. After international criticism, Bia pardoned Kamto in November 2019 and had him released. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzaka in Yawundi, Cameroon. Nigerian youths have begun the second phase of the NSARS protest, which was suspended in October following a deadly military intervention in Lagos. The new phase kicked off with elderly women and men asking government to give them justice in apparent reference to the reported death of youths who were protesting peacefully against police brutality with a call on government to disband the special anti-robbery squad of the Nigerian police, which has been accused of committing extrajudicial killings and extortions. Collins Otenhengbe reports from Lagos. Elderly men and women led the way to the beginning of the second phase of the NSAS protest in Lagos with a cry for justice. The women frowned at the delay in dealing with the pressing issues raised by the youth during the October 2020 protests as well as the freezing of the accounts of those presumed to have championed the cause of the peaceful protest. Samuel Adebisi says they did not call off the protest but merely suspended it because of hoodlums. When we suspend the, the protest, we did not tell them that we call off the protest. We only tell them we suspend it for some reason. One of the reasons why we suspended the protest was because the old lumps hijacked it. 
and we don't want them to see us like the hoodlums. The second one, they said we will have town hall meeting with the governor. But the town hall meeting was political party. It's not a meeting. It was a party. Because a town hall meeting whereby they did not allow the, any of the NSAS movement to come in. They now put some people that they represent the NSAS protesters, which we don't know them. Those are the people that came to snap pictures with us while we are doing this movement at Olaya. Just as the news broke open that there was going to be a commencement of the NSAS protests, the police came out with a warning that any such protest would be seen as treason against the state. Liberos Oshoma says the police force has demonstrated ignorance of the, of the constitutional rights to associate and gather with such statement. The police need to be taught because before now we assume that um, our police are vast in the provisions of the constitution but um, from um, the statement credited to the inspector general of police it is obvious that um, our policemen and women hardly reads, apart from maybe some sections of the police act, they are hardly in tune with the numerous provisions of uh, the Constitution, especially Chapter 4 of the Constitution. Since I read that statement, I've been trying to actually pigeonhole how a protest can be read as treason. Even when properties are burned, you can only charge those persons for arson. If you look at um, sections of the Constitution, Section 40 guarantees right to peaceful assembly, Section 41 freedom of movement. I think what the police should do is to consistently engage the people because the issues that were raised during the protest are very germane. Issues of police brutality, and then some people talked about, um, you know, bad governance, lack of infrastructure. The fallout is the fact that even the police admitted that there was need to actually reform the police. And then the Speaker of the Oshun State House of Assembly, Timothy Oweye, who received the protesters at the Oshun State House of Assembly, says the demand of the protesters will be discussed in the assembly. As part of our agenda for this seventh assembly that is uh, effective public engagement. We are going to engage those mentioned by this uh, youth, that is the OC Lega, the Commissioner for Youth and Sports, and uh, the composition of the panel of inquiry. By the time we get back to the office, I will discuss with other colleagues to see how to go about it. We are into it together, and I believe that as a government, we cannot run away from them, as a responsible government. But the FCT Police Command had been quick to raise eyebrows about the commencement of the second phase and says the move will not be condoned. Emphasis, however, was on violent protests as against the blanket statement which came out from the police headquarters. I believe that those who are planning this uh, uh, protest, they, they are nothing but a, a unscrupulous element who always derive pleasure in a troubled environment. And we have let them know that the command will not tolerate any form of protest for now because we are just coming out of uh, the, the bad effect of the recent uh, protest that happened throughout the country. The command has won and we have uh, put our strategies in, uh, in motion to ensure that no any form of violent protest is allowed across the state. Edward Israel Adeni says... With the government's action, the evidence proves that it is not sincere and that there was evidence anyway that the protest was going to start again. Uh, because the, the, there was no closure. Uh, there was no closure the last time. Uh, the government has made a show of uh, meeting the demands of the NSAS protest, but they haven't actually been honest with Nigerians about it. Uh, we've seen a case where somebody in the Nigerian police force brought a suit against the judicial panels being set up. Uh, it is those kind of events that make people feel like the government is not serious about really ending police brutality, really taking care of the demands of young people, being uh, decisive about improving the working conditions of policemen because that's one of the major things that the NSAS protest was about. The peaceful protest has taken off in Abuja, Lagos and Oshobo where the initial fireworks for the first phase kick-started the protest. Will the government apply any form of force to keep the people out of the streets again? 
The next few days, we tell the story. From Lagos, Nigeria, I am Collins of Satoing before Channel Africa News. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. The Democratic Republic of Congo's political crisis is worsening after President Felix Chisikedi decided to end the coalition between his platform, the Cap for Change, and former President Joseph Kabila's common front for the Congo FCC. Chisikedi is trying to build his own parliamentary majority as things didn't work with the FCC majority but there are fears of violence as the current situation brings back memories of 1965. A majority-related conflict between Joseph Kasavubu and Patrice Emery Lumumba turned to a coup d'etat opportunity for Joseph Desiree Mobutu. Jean-Noel Bamwezi reports from Kinshasa. President Felix Tshisekedi announced last Sunday he would appoint an informant to identify a new majority into parliament. Former President Joseph Kabila's FCC has noted both partners are now in cohabitation, but this country's constitution doesn't allow the appointment of an informant since the current prime minister is still in office. And indeed, Prime Minister Sylvester Ilunga Ilunkamba met with President Chisekedi on Monday. No one knows what they spoke about. What's true is that there is no sign of resigning from this FCC Sylvester Ilunga, but he has no other choice, according to Professor Nkere Tanda from the University of Kinshasa. The Prime Minister will have to resign. I don't see him resisting that resignation because uh, even if he were to resist, there are other mechanisms that can be used to get rid of him. So I think that is an embarrassment that he needs to avoid by going forward and resigning. Should that be the case? Because based on the speech of the President on Sunday, there is no other alternative he will have to resign and his government will have to resign as well. And should they resist that resignation, there are ways to get rid of them. That's why I don't expect any resistance from the Prime Minister when that time comes. The current political crisis is now worsening on a daily basis. Things are turning very bad into the National Assembly where ongoing violence is reported since last Monday. MPs from President Chisekedi's cash and those from former President Kabila's FCC are fighting over a petition targeting to overthrow the parliament office led by the FCC, Jenin Mabunda, for the position to go to cash. A kind of forcing that could take this country to chaos as it brings back bad memories of the 65 situation. That's indeed what this political scientist, Herbert Kabasubabu Katulondi, told the Channel Africa. If the prime minister refuses to step down, there will be a major crisis, dramatic crisis, which may lead to generalized chaos. You know, we are in a country where you've got hundreds of militias, hundreds of armed groups. One group may stand up one morning and say it does not recognize the president anymore, does not recognize the institutions anymore because there's now a crisis of legitimacy because of the quarrel. So there's a risk for the Congo to go back to what occurred in 1965 when President Kasavubu was trying to force his own majority in the House of Representatives and then General Mobutu perpetrated the coup. So it all depends on the methods. Are they constitutional? Are they against the constitution? 
that is what is going to determine the fate of the Congo in a few days to come. And we have seen that in line with the president's obsession with a new majority, the members of parliament from his party have vandalized the parliament in a way that is a scandal and everybody's talking about it. The DRC politicians have created a political crisis for leadership-related interests while the country's populations are facing ongoing poor social conditions. Jean-Noël Bamweze for Channel Africa in Kinshasa. Ethiopian government says a United Nations team visiting refugees in the country's war-hit Tigray region was shot and detained after it failed to stop at two checkpoints. The UN security team comprising of four people was reportedly seeking access to the Shimelba camp for Eritrean refugees when they were fired at. According to Red One Hussein, spokesperson for the Ethiopian government's task force for Tigray, the UN team passed through the checkpoints without stopping while driving hastily to an unauthorized area. More from Saviano Abru, spokesperson for the United Nations Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs in East Africa. We are extremely alarmed by this incident and we keep calling on our parts to the conflict to allow and free and unconditional humanitarian access to Tigray. As you know, the conflict there started almost one month, more than one month ago actually now, and it's very urgent for us to reach the area with humanitarian assistance and supplies as people are really in need of, of this kind of assistance now. Are they still detained at the moment, Saviano? And um, was it the team of um, four people or more people? Uh, no, the team is, has been already released. Uh, the team were comprised of six departure, two vehicles, two UN market vehicles with four uh, security staff two international, two national, plus the two drivers, but they are already um, free. Now, is it also your understanding that the team broke through two checkpoints and entered areas that are off limits under the agreement which was signed between the government and the United Nations? Our security team was carrying out assessment along previously agreed routes. So the route that we are using was previously agreed with the government, and these assessments were actually vital to ensure that humanitarian could reach people in need wherever they are in Tigray. So they are using routes that was actually previously agreed with the government. But the government says the agreement it entered with the UN was in the belief that the UN would only coordinate with the government and that the government would call the shots. Yes, we are actually engaging with the government in the most high levels and engaging the federal government daily to make sure that we can agree on the operational details of this agreement as humanitarian assistance has to be independent and impartial. So we are working with the government to agree on the operational details of this uh, and to be able to carry out our work in the, uh, um, the most independent way. Our goal is to make sure that we can assist people anywhere where they are based only on the needs of these people and we have trust system without any distinction and uh, just based on the urgency of the needs. Now we understand that you are engaging at the highest level with Ethiopia's government to avoid any such incidents in the future. Are you able to update us on the status of the negotiations? Yeah, I cannot talk about the negotiations at this point. As I mentioned, it's the most high, high levels. Our Secretary General, the main Secretary General, had a call with the Prime Minister on, on Monday, and we are engaging uh, with African unions as well. So we are working on the all fronts to make sure that the agreement can be materialized soon. But I cannot comment on details of these negotiations. And what can you tell us about their condition? Have they been injured as a result of uh, the shooting incident? We're still working on details of their conditions, but as far as we know, they, are, they have not been injured and are uh, in good conditions now. So does that mean that uh, you will put your mission on hold at the moment uh, because we know that many people have been displaced in the area, in the region. Does that mean that you are going to put your mission on hold? We are not stopping our, our work to make sure that we can assist people in need in Tigray. 
the, the hour was actually the guy never stopped. What's the, happening now is with the lack of access, we're not being able to send supplies. So uh, it's, of course, a negatively impacting our capacity to assist people there. But in the meantime, of course, we're keeping our negotiations and keeping our preparations to make sure that we can scale up our response as soon as possible. And, but of course, we have now to work on the additional operational details after this incident, and uh, including the security conditions, of course, so we can, we can be able to proceed uh, as soon as possible. And how many people are you aiming to assist, Saviano? Tigray had already, before the start of the conflict, uh, around 850,000 people uh, in need of assistance that are supporting in Tigray. You are planning, our planning figures, the, the, the numbers that you are preparing for, it's, uh, it's that an additional 1 million, 1.1 million people would need assistance uh, inside Tigray due to the conflict. These figures, of course, have to be analyzed and checked once you get access to the area, because so far, uh, due to this lack of access, due to the to the lack of communications, we haven't been able to verify the information that is coming from from the ground. But we are preparing for 1.1 million people, additionally to the 850,000 that we are already assisting in Tigray. That's Saviano Avru, spokesperson for the United Nations Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs in East Africa, on the line talking to Kumbelo Munjulele. Time now for our news headlines with Onele Nsinsi. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. A coalition of campaigning bodies are warning that rich countries are hoarding doses of COVID vaccines. Results in more than 250 constituencies have been announced in Ghana, stating President Nana Akufo to have maintained his narrow lead. And Hong Kong's pro-democracy activist Agnes Chow has been denied bail pending an appeal against a 10-month jail sentence on charges related to an unauthorized assembly during an anti-government protest. Channel African News, I am Onelin Tsinsi. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. We have withstood the coronavirus storm. Now is the time to return our country, its people, and our economy to a situation that is more normal, that more resembles the lives that we were living six months ago. This is working. South Africa's Joburg Festival of Lights goers will this week be treated to the most dynamic atmosphere of illuminated pathways, fairy light tunnel creating a wonderland into the festival lawn with kiddies rides and dance and rhythm from local talented group Art of Dance Studio. The group is no stranger to the spotlight on a world stage, hailing from Innerdale with a colourful story to tell. Displayed through their passion for dance, these youngsters sure know how to break it down. Art of Dance Studio was formed in January 2014 by Nicole Kuberg, who recognised the need to provide the youth of Innerdale with the opportunity to learn and practise the art of dancing. The Art of Dance Studio, which started off slowly with 10 young dancers, ages ranging between 8 and 11 years old, in the field of ballet, jazz, contemporary and African dancing, has grown immensely, now accommodating 50 dancers. Festival spokesperson Ntombi Mashaba joins us now on the line. Good evening. Good evening, and how are you? I'm very good, thank you. And so tell me, how has the festival... The, rather, the festival being received by Joe Burgers, and have they shown up in numbers? Yes, um, the festival has been fantastic um, so far. Um, I think with COVID and everyone is feeling under a bit um, gloomy because of the the, the 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 pandemic itself. Going out has been such an outing and such an exciting time. Being at experiencing the lights, the live entertainment, social distancing, masks on, it has been greatly received. I must say. 
Now take us through some of the activities at the festival. Fantastic. So the Festival of Life takes place at Joburg Zoo. It starts on the 22nd of November, ending on the 3rd of January. What patrons can expect is to come through in their masks and hand pocket sanitizers. It's and Tommy, can you try and move around a bit? You're breaking up. Tommy? Oh. Okay, um, let's try that again. Yes. And for that, you can enjoy life and size, animal structures, illuminated structures, life is at the bandstand. We've got fantastic um, food stalls that um, have been set up around uh, the facility. Um, we've got kids' rides. We also have um, the bar that is open and, and the restaurant as well. Within a safe and a secure environment within the zoo. So tell us more about the Art of Dance studio performance at the event. Fantastic. So the Art of Dance, our main mandate as a jo- um, the, the Joburg Theatre is to promote local arts and talent. And when we were programming the Festival of Life, we thought to source a local, bear, um, a local group rather that can enhance the program further. And what more beautiful than to source a group of young, talented, dynamic pupils um, from Innerdale. Um, Nicole put together this beautiful dance company, and I must say the children are just fantastic. They are truly a work of art. Um, besides that, we also have Bongim Tombeni who sings away, and he sings beautiful um, renditions and melodies um, on the bandstand. How long is the festival going to be running for? November, we end on the 3rd of January. We are on every single night except for Mondays. So from Tuesdays to Sundays, live entertainment, um, a great environment within the zoo. It's open um, for everyone to come through. Now, let's just go through again the, the whole protocols for COVID-19 um, for visitors, you know, because that is a major thing in, you know, in the world at the moment. Yeah, it's a new normal the, the way life is going in at the moment. So please rock up with your masks on, have your hand sanitizers. We've got sanitizer stations around the pathway, um, but also come through with your family. Um, the gates open at 6 o'clock to allow for the COVID registration. Tickets are available at www.jobexepa.com or the tickets kiosk by the gate. Ntombi, thank you very much. Thank you so much. We look forward to seeing the citizens of Joburg coming to join us. Definitely. Thank you. That's Ntombi Mashaba, spokesperson for the Festival of Lights and marketing manager of Joburg Theatre. Are you ready? Something new, informative, fun and exciting is coming your way. Channel Africa is introducing brand new shows and you, our valued listener, do not want to miss these. Live Well will be launched on the 31st of August at 10 hours and will educate us about health, wellness and health lifestyles. African Insight to be launched on the 2nd of September at 8 hours. It looks at infrastructure projects in Africa in an effort to improve the continent's economy. Yours truly to be launched on the 31st of August, broadcast on Monday. Wednesday and Friday between 22 hours and 23 hours and it will connect listeners to the loved ones through dedications, well wishes, topped up with great African music. Cuisines Africa will be launched on the 5th of September at 10 hours and will leave you salivating as we explore diverse African dishes, colorful culture and rich history. Tune in to www.channelafrica.co.za or DSTV 802 for these new exciting editions. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Outgoing United States President Donald Trump continues to peddle fiction in his efforts to hang on to the presidency after his resounding defeat by President-elect Joe Biden last November. 
speaking at an event to tout the success of Operation Warp Speed, which facilitated a government and private partnership to accelerate the development, manufacture and distribution of COVID-19 vaccines, the president was asked about the absence of members of Biden's transition team and, as Sherwin Brass-Peach reports, used the opportunity to list his grievances that have been rejected by the courts. The president and his allies have mounted more than 40 lawsuits across multiple states that have relied on dubious claims of election fraud and ballot rigging and that have been met with resounding repudiations from judges presiding over those hearings. Trump has long indicated he hoped his legal challenges would eventually end up in the nation's highest court, but that prospect remains unclear given the lack of disclosure from the Supreme Court in Washington on the mountains of litigation to date. Now let's see whether or not somebody has the courage, whether it's a legislator or legislatures, or whether it's a justice of the Supreme Court or a number of justices of the Supreme Court. Let's see if they have the courage to do what everybody in this country knows is right. I received almost 75 million votes, the highest number of votes in the history of our country for a sitting president, 12 million more than the 63 million we received four years ago. The president received just over 74 million votes to Joe Biden's more than 81 million votes and who handily won the Electoral College. Results have been certified in all the states under question as the incumbent places his hopes on state legislatures, ignoring the popular vote and choosing their own electors to the Electoral College, who must then affirm the results on December 14th. I received 12 million more, which by the way is a record, 12 million more. And they say that when the numbers came out and the numbers came through machines and all of those ballots were taken away and added, all you have to do is turn on your local television set and you'll see what happened with thousands of ballots coming out from under tables, with all of the terrible things you saw. All you have to do is take a look and if somebody has the courage, I know who the next administration will be. In just the latest move, the state of Texas has asked the nation's highest court to decide whether a change in election laws was improper in four states, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin and Georgia, and whether the COVID-19 pandemic was used to justify those changes in order to skew the outcome of the election due to a surge in the use of mail-in ballots. Hopefully the next administration uh, will be the Trump administration, a continuation which has led us to the highest stock markets we've ever had, the best employment numbers we've ever had, a rebuilt military. Uh, If you look at uh, the tax reductions are the greatest in history, the regulation reductions the greatest in history, it leads us to Space Force, which nobody thought was possible. All of the things we've done, and we were rewarded with a victory. December 8th represented what is known as the safe harbor deadline, which is the broadly accepted date by which all state-level election challenges need to be completed. For example, the state of Georgia recertified Joe Biden as the winner in that state for the third time on Monday after several recounts and audits of the results delivered the same outcome, leaving President Trump and his supporters with fewer options for what was always a long-shot attempt to overturn the election result. I'm Sherwin Bricepees in New York. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. We have withstood the coronavirus storm. Now is the time to return our country, its people, and our economy to a situation that is more normal that more resembles the lives that we were living six months ago. Following consultations with a number of stakeholders, cabinet decided that the country should now move to alert level one. The move to alert level one will take effect from midnight on Sunday, the 20th of September, 2020. This move recognizes that levels of infections are relatively low and that there is sufficient capacity in our health system to manage the current need. Channel Africa. 
Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Again, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Again. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Time now for your economic news. Good evening, I'm Tracy Bumgard. A new report by the United Nations has found that 1% of the richest people in the world are responsible for more than twice the total carbon emissions of the poorest 50%. The report also found that wealthy individuals must significantly curtail their carbon-emitting habits in order for the world to avoid the real dangers of climate change. The BBC's Matt McGrath has more. Apologies for that. Analysts at Afrin Invest, West Africa Limited, have again expressed concern about Nigeria's rising debt profile. This was revealed at the presentation of the Afrin Invest 2020 Nigerian Banking Sector Report entitled The Insecurity Challenges of Poverty, which was launched on Tuesday. The report shows that the Nigerian banking sector is stable and has been positioned for growth. The Access Bank of Rwanda has been awarded the Commercial Bank of the Year. The award spotlights the bank's commitment to meet and exceed customers' expectations. East African Youth Development Agency and Kalisimba Salimbi events rather say a lot of voting and research is carried out on the companies ahead of the event. The bank has lauded the efforts of its staff for their contribution and helping to provide services that people want. A Corruption Watch study has revealed that young people blame corruption for the high unemployment rate in South Africa. They also don't trust big business and politicians, with 84% of the participants in the survey labelling them as corrupt. Corruption Watch has released a report titled Our Future is Not Safe, is rather not for sale, that captures youth perceptions and attitudes towards corruption in South Africa. They spoke to a sample of 1,500 respondents between the ages of 18 and 35 years old. The youth say corruption is affecting access and the availability of job opportunities. Senior Advocacy Officer at the Centre for the Study of Violence and Reconciliation, Gugunon Jingje, explains. One thing that we need to note about corruption is that it does divert quite a lot of funding that is meant for, for public service. A majority of it is, is for the economic development or even social development of a country. And youth employment sort of fits in there. So if majority of the funds are being used in ways that are not um, accounted for, then it does sort of affect youth employment quite a lot. So there is quite a lot of correlation between youth unemployment and, and, and the rate of corruption or even the state of corruption. South Africa's Department of Public Enterprises says the newly appointed South African Airways Interim Board, comprising of six non-executive members, will be charged with ensuring the smooth implementation of the rescue plan and restructuring of the embattled airline. In a statement, the department says the board will work to restore proper governance at SAA. Naledi Ngobo has more. 
The board will be led by Jeff Greener, a qualified chartered accountant and former CEO of the Industrial Development Corporation. Other board members include Peter Chiseve, a mergers and acquisitions lawyer, June Crawford, an aviation and tourism professional, Bembe Zwane, an aviation entrepreneur, Edna van Hart, a military science academic, and Nick Fadugba, an aviation professional. SABC News, Johannesburg. The U.S. dollars trading at 379.72 Nigerian Naira, 10.87 Botswana Pula, 110.41 Kenyan Shilling, and 21.01 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, 1 U.S. dollars trading at 5.10 Brazilian Hail, 73.47 Russian Ruble, 73.63 Indian Rupee, 6.53 Chinese Yuan, and at 15.06 South African Rand. The US dollar is also trading at 74 pence to the British pound and 82 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,861 and platinum at $1,024 per ounce. Brent crude oil is at $49.40 a barrel. For Channel African News, I'm Tracy Bumgard. Time now for your sports with Neto Chamani. With the latest Channel Africa Sports News at this hour, I'm Neto NETO Chamani. From the sports desk, a very good afternoon. Starting off with Netball News. Dr. Kenneth Kaunda remains undefeated at the Spa Netball Nationals currently underway at the Zwartetluf Private Game Reserve in South Africa's Limpopo province. Last year's finalists had to fight hard to beat the defending champions, Tswani 38-34, and remain at the top of the table. Dr. K. Kaunda, head coach Elsie Yodan, says despite the win, it was scrappy performance from her side. Yeah, look, it wasn't a good game. I thought it was a bit scrappy and loose. And um, But for me, you know, I said it right from the start, having the 621s in that team will take any good win against any good team out of a confidence perspective. Again, you know, attack is just not working yet. It's, it's wrong decisions, decision-making, ball placements, um, and then obviously converting the goals. Um, but, you know, the pleasing thing was that our fourth quarter was really strong, so they managed to close down the game. So during our team talk last night, we said, you know, if we can be in the game by the fourth quarter, um, being two up or four up, that was the goal, then we might just give ourselves a chance to win it. It was always going to be a tighter game between the top two sides in the senior section of the championships. Swanee head coach Jennifer Dake says it was a good thing they found themselves on the back foot. But it was a good situation to be in. What I liked was that we were behind. And that we, 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 we were behind and that we didn't. The, the, the score didn't become bigger and bigger. We could stay in it the whole time. And there were stages where we leveled up again. But the thing is, I said to the girls, it's so important that you feel, you need to feel what it feels like to be behind. It's, it, you can't practice this. You can't practice or simulate being behind in any match. If it happens, we need to use it. We need to utilize it. We need to feel the feelings. We need to see what works, what doesn't work. Under pressure, how do we fix it next time? And that's obviously, um, the plan is never to fall behind. But that's obviously um, a good learning school for us for today, I think. On to cricket news. After both members of the Proteus and English teams returned numerous COVID-19 positive cases over the weekend, it has led to postponement of the ODI series due to the disruption caused by coronavirus. Cricket South Africa Head of Medical Dr. Shwaip Mandra says the COVID-19 virus penetrates even the most secure environment. I think it's a new world we're living in, and, and we need to become accustomed to this new normal. Um, where a virus such as this would penetrate even the most secure environment. So, you know, I would imagine that, that England, England's experience in, uh, in their bio bubble was probably a unique experience in the sense that 
that they had zero positive over over their summer when they hosted three series at home. I think it's unlikely that that can be replicated elsewhere. And and indeed, I don't think it's even sustainable for England. Um, so so I think that, that this virus will penetrate uh, even the most secure environment. Dr. Mandra speaks on the disappointment of Cricket South Africa as less international cricket gets played due to the ongoing crisis attributed to COVID-19. Yeah, look, I mean, you know, there's a, there's a number of things you know, that, are, that are kind of lining up for the Proteus. The one is that, you know, we haven't played cricket since, since March, uh, since our series against, uh, our home series against Australia. Uh, you know, we went to India, we didn't play any games, and then we've been in lockdown. Uh, you know, thankfully, the domestic competitions have begun, so the so players are playing. But with international cricket, we were certainly, certainly looking forward to, to playing against, uh, against uh, England in both formats of, of the game. Thankfully, the T20s went off, uh, you know, without, without you know, problems. Uh, but, but, but we are clearly disappointed that the ODIs didn't take place, and we felt that there was no reason they shouldn't have proceeded. Uh, I think there was all reason. There was, there was certainly confidence in the system that, that, that those games could have gone ahead. And finally, in athletics news, the Kenya Tourism Board, KTB, rewarded three athletes with a five-day vacation in recognition of their impressive returns at the 2020 London Marathon. The three athletes are Bridget Kosgei, Ruth Chapanjetic, and Jeffrey Kamoror. The trio will visit the Laikipia Game Reserve and then head to the coast and tour the Lamo Wildlife Sanctuaries. KTB Chief Executive Officer Betty Radia said the trip will help promote sports tourism in the country. Channel Africa with sports from an African perspective. For Channel Africa Sport, I'm Neto N-E-T-O Chemani. This is Africa Digest. Well, that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour from myself, Tracy Bumgard, producer Libamoswu, and the rest of the team. Thank you for listening. You can send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za. Or follow us on Twitter at Channel Africa One. On Facebook, you will find us at Channel Africa. Or you can send us a WhatsApp message to plus two seven seven six three double zero double three two seven. Channel Africa, the voice of the African perspective. We play out with a song titled "Yours, Barbarita." <laughs> Yes.